Where the needle goes, the thread follows. Indian proverb. Welcome to the kaleidoscope that is Indian textiles. Vividly colourful and unendingly inspiring. This is a world where embroidery, design and techniques are as varied as the very culture of India itself. A land of surprises and diversity. India is a country of extremes, from the stunning landscapes of the Himalayan foothills to its plains and coastal regions, deserts and forests, for centuries making use of its, of its rich natural resources for making and decorating textiles. Its varied geography offers a huge range of plant fibres and natural dyes for cultivators, weavers, dyers, printers and embroiderers of the subcontinent. From the golden silks of Assam to the fine Bengal cottons and the red dyes of the southeast of India, used by craftspeople in an astonishing range of skills. And it's India's wealth and mastery of bright and lasting natural dyes that really best determined India's textile heritage. It's the home of the cultural icon, the sari, meaning strip of cloth, a draped women's garment worn by women on the Indian subcontinent since approximately 2800 to 1800 BC. Traditional dress of both the Hindu and Buddhist faiths are draped rather than cut and shaped to the body, still seen in the sari, the lungi, the dhoti, the shawl and the turban. India intrigues with its vibrant culture and has for centuries been renowned for the richness and diversity of its embroidered textiles, one of India's most prized and eloquent textile traditions. Embroidery has multiple purposes here. It's not simply the means for decorating fabric. It also offers employment and income, conveying the embellished stories of a community through the motives emerging from their surroundings, heritage, religions, or simply as a record of daily life. It provides the means for a spectacle of riotous, uninhibited colour and storytelling, becoming the narrative of the many peoples of India. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. 
understanding the origins of Indian embroidery through its historical development is no easy task, but it does help give insight into why there are so many varieties and techniques grouped under the generalised term of embroidery. India has been considerably influenced throughout its history of trade, invasion and migration, along with the natural movement of peoples throughout the subcontinent, which explains why similar embroidery can be found around India despite the fairly recent formation of national boundaries. And this history of contact has been richly expressed in the arts and crafts of India, particularly the heritage of Indian embroidery, which is at the very heart of the social and cultural lives of these diverse communities. Embroidery in India also reflects economic and political changes, as well as social, religious and artistic contexts, with early examples of Indian textiles found in other countries, indicating the scope of textile trade from India to the Far and Middle East. Certain areas became notable centres for European trading companies, exporting embroideries and other textiles in large quantities, with a great many beautifully worked embroideries imported into Europe by the Dutch and English East India companies. There is evidence of Indian textiles being exported as early as the 5th and 4th centuries BC, reaching a peak between 1795 to 1799, when the East India Company exported around 1.5 million pieces of cloth per year. Two of the best-known early Indian sites where urban communities began to develop some 2,000 years before the birth of Christ are at Harappa and Mohenjo-Daro, which was a major trade and manufacturing centre, including dyeing and bead-making workshops, with finds including a fragment of matter-dyed cotton fabric along with some thin bronze needles. And the cotton plant, which is indigenous to India, grew in areas surrounding these centres, ensuring their long-term productivity. Sometimes the weaving of Indian cotton fabrics has been so fine that it was referred to as woven air, with the production and weaving of cotton cloth central to India's economy. Roderick Conway Morris wrote this in 2015 for the New York Times. Textiles played a critical role in the birth and development of Indian civilization. It was almost certainly in that subcontinent that cotton was first spun into thread and woven into cloth some 8,000 years ago. And it was the textile industry that formed the basis of the expansion of India's economy and population. Even today, two centuries after the Industrial Revolution, more than 10% of the cloth produced in India is woven on hand looms, employing over 4 million people.
coinciding with the development of related skills and use of similar products in Egypt, Greece, Persia, Syria and Babylon are written accounts from 300 BC telling us of the richly embroidered clothes worn by the wealthy peoples of the Indian subcontinent. This is also confirmed by explorer documentation such as Marco Polo, who visited India, referring to the exquisite embroideries made in Gujarat, depicting birds and beasts in gold and silver thread sewn very subtly on leather. Embroidery is also referred to in Chinese, Buddhist and Brahmin writings. Many cultural and religious influences were brought to India via the ancient trade routes, notably rich textiles from China along the old Silk Roads, with India's extensive coastline enabling centuries-old trade and home to a great variety of religions, each making widespread use of decorated textiles in their worship, rituals, temples and shrines. Both the Muslim and Hindu religions had authority over the motives and colours used in local traditional embroidery. And one of the major influences prevailing upon Indian textiles was that of Persia during the Mughal Empire 1526 to 1756 with other influences coming from Europe and Britain. The spread of the Mughal Empire during the 16th century brought the assimilation of Islamic design influences adjusted to local styles into the large embroidery workshops set up by the Mughal rulers. They established these craftsman-based workshops to cater for the ruler's household and military needs, producing luxury goods but also allowing for the exploration and innovation of new techniques. The production of these textiles for India's royal courts demonstrated the wealth of the rulers and showcased the skills of their craftsmen. Pieces surviving from the 15th century show that some of the finest textiles ever made in India and the world came from these royal workshops. One piece acquired by the v and Museum in 1947 is a Mughal silk hunting jacket circa 1620 to 1625, decorated with animals and plants revealing a sophisticated mix of Chinese and European design influences. These workshops may have also enabled the development of the silver and gold threadwork called Zardozi, dating back to ancient India, mentioned in Vedic literature and inscribed in figures adorning the cave walls of Ajanta. Zar in Persian means gold and dozi is embroidery. However, it was under the royal patronage of the Mughal Emperor Akbar that Zar dozi and Ari embroidery reached its zenith. This magnificent embroidery was used extensively to enrich and embellish court garments, wall hangings, palanquins, scabbards, side walls of tents and the trappings on elephants and horses. 
Gold and silver wire was used along with precious gems and diamonds, but now has given way to sequins, glass and plastic beads. One Zardozi craftsman recalls how his forefathers were referred to as gardeners of garments, praising the intricate floral motives they painstakingly embroidered. This embroidery of kings is still worked today, mostly in very poor conditions. Embroidery was also used in the shawl workshops, an important workshop in the Mughal era, especially the Kashmiri shawls, which were embroidered in golden sequins, brocaded with gold wire or simply patterned with embroidery. India is a story of assimilation, using many of these introduced ideas, but making them their own, showing their renown for diversity, quality and richness. But it's also a story of huge inequity. Preston Public Library in England holds volumes of textile samples collected in India by Dr Forbes Watson during the mid-1860s. And while they do create a record of uh, the wealth, diversity and beauty of Indian textiles of that period, they also had a highly detrimental effect on the native Indian textile industry of that time. Dr Watson intended these samples to give British manufacturers examples of the types of textiles saleable in India, to copy and export back into India, obviously benefiting the British manufacturers and workers of the time, but decimating the Indian textile industry. The Indian market was flooded with cheap imitations as Britain had the advantage of highly developed textile technology. It was Gandhi who revived India's handloom industry as a central part of the fight for independence, encouraging mass spinning, weaving and the wearing of khadi cotton. On the one hand, there's this veritable treasure trove of samples available for researchers and historians, recording the areas they came from, the uses to which they were put, and the names given them. But then there's the imbalance. One example of assimilation would be the satin stitch embroidery of the Chinese settlers during the 19th and 20th centuries in Surat, north of Bombay, making pieces of what is known as Chinai embroidery that would later be attached to saris or other garments, clearly demonstrating the Chinese influence and love for satin stitch embroidery. India is well known for its skilled embroiderers, yet the practice of embroidery was not restricted to any one class. The rich at court, as well as the poor, made use of specific techniques generally relating to their region. Textiles are everywhere in India on clothing and animal coverings in temples and homes. It's simply a form of the traditional way of life for all Indians.
Professional status embroidery was produced in the Kutch region and Gujarat, though historically the finest examples were largely made for the royal courts and temples. The nomadic Banjara people worked their delicate even stitching from the bottom to the top, symbolically working from the earth to the sky, representing the entire universe in their embroidery. And the choice of stitches for Indian embroidery was determined by a number of factors, such as the fabrics available, the quality of the fabrics, and the designs to be worked. These were often worked freeform, directly onto the fabric from memory or with the aid of a sample for reference. Or the design was transferred onto the fabric prior to stitching using a variety of methods. Block printing created stitching outlines or they were traced with a wooden pencil. Wooden blocks are still used for small, repeating floral patterns on dresses using multiple colours, with the larger scale motifs used for furnishings and tents. From the 14th century, wooden blocks were used to produce huge wall hangings for export to Southeast Asia. Coal dust could also be stenciled onto fabric or the prick and pounce method using either powdered clay, chalk paste or charcoal rubbed through perforated paper or copper foil. Embroidery could be worked on a plain woven fabric, a woven pattern fabric or on different pieces of fabric patchworked together. These would include cotton, silks or wool. Worked on a single layer of fabric or stabilised using another fabric behind, using embroidery threads of cotton, silk, wool, silver and gold, with embellishments such as shells, beads, mica or mirrors, and even amazingly hued beetle wings. And I'll talk more about that in another episode. Sometimes threads are reused from a pre-existing fabric. The brightest and most dominant colours are to be seen in the arid and desert regions, particularly around Gujarat and Rajasthan, where the women wearing these deliciously coloured garments are called the flowers of the desert. Most embroidery work is worked in the hand, but some have to be worked stretching stretched in a frame which allows the embroiderer to use one hand above and one hand below to work the multitude of amazing stitches. And some Indian embroidery makes use of only one stitch, such as the running stitch used in Cantha work, showing the innovation and ingenuity of Indian embroiderers that's made this such a distinctive technique, creating a world of softly quilted patterning. It's this imaginative, almost freestyled use of fabrics, embroidery and unusual stitch combinations that marks Indian embroidery so worthy of further research, the results of which are a joyous journey of stitch, texture and colour. A wide variety of needles and sizes of needles are used. For instance, chicken work or pull thread work requires a wide, long needle with gold work needing an extra long needle. 
The ari or hooked awl adapted over time looks similar to the tambour hooks used in Europe and are expertly and precisely wielded by the Indian embroiderers. Worked from the top but fed by thread from below, the material is stretched in a frame to create repeated loops leading to a line of chained stitches. Similar patterns and imagery can be seen across the textile arts in weaving, printing and embroidery. And many stitches and designs are passed from mother to daughter, ensuring some techniques and designs have remained largely unchanged, although gradual individual touches naturally occur. Embroidery was traditionally made by village women as part of a social gathering, making embroidery for the family, home and community. However, trained professional embroiderers are usually men, with the master embroiderer training others. Often this is a father-son relationship. Indian embroidery encompasses dozens of embroidery styles varying from region to region and I'll talk more about them in upcoming episodes and were formed on the basis of texture, the fabric design and the stitch, many of which are simple permutations and combinations of the dot, the alternate dot, the circle, the square and the triangle. But it's fashion that may well help keep the traditions of Indian embroidery alive today, seen by a world hungry for luxury handmade embroidery, reclaiming and popularising its ancient techniques. These traditional Indian embroidery techniques are being used by contemporary fashion designers to create cutting-edge fashions by innovating traditional techniques with a level of detail that celebrates the handmaking skills of Indian embroiderers. And this comes directly from the INIFD Garukul Ahmedabad website from 2019, posted by Rupal Jain. Here at INIFD, the expert, experienced and knowledgeable senior faculties from the textile and fashion fields have designed the curriculum of fashion designing courses for this aspect of traditional Indian embroideries in an outstanding manner. This Fashion Designing Institute has been a pioneer in setting milestones for taking Indian embroiderers out of the league wherein the students are not only taught the minute details, history, working procedure, significance and execution of Indian traditional embroideries, but also the focus lies on its usage and application in contemporary styles and time. The diversity of embroidery styles enriched by motives, patterning, stitches and symbolism continue to be practised both professionally and domestically. However, 
Many of these embroiderers or gardeners of garments are leaving the skills handed down to them by their forefathers to find better paying employment and working conditions. And it's my fervent hope that the Indian government and the world steps in to help these talented artisans before their skills are lost forever. To finish, this piece of Indian wisdom in a tree that you can't climb, there are always a thousand fruits. And that's a fantastic way to view Indian embroidery. It's so multifaceted and vast, drawing upon eons of trade, invasion and natural migration, giving the world a wealth of colour, textiles and embroidery techniques that embody India as a world textile leader. Certain things capture the eye, but pursue only those that capture the heart. Another piece of Indian wisdom, highly applicable to their embroidered textiles, which immediately capture our hearts with their visual flair and love of colour. Whether traditional or contemporary, Indian embroidery is and has always been mesmerising. Its appeal lies in the very country itself and the skilled craftsmen and women who ply their abilities, transforming something simple into something simply extraordinary. In the next episode of Stitch Safari, I'll be exploring the amazing world of Canther. Thank you for your time. It's always greatly appreciated. As always, there's just so much more to discover. Stitch Safari's now reached over five and a half thousand downloads, and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Wilt Magazine and listed in the top five textile industry podcasts as at September 2021 by Feedspot. And I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to learn and it's all so fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website, so do head on over. And till the next episode of Stitch Safari and more embroidery adventures, bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>